This is The 20 with DJ Spider, presented by BeatSource. Hey guys, what's happening? Today is your day. You've just tuned into the number one DJ podcast in the world, if not the universe. I mean, you just tuned into the 20 podcast. We're bringing you interviews with the best DJs, producers, and music industry professionals from around the globe. And if you didn't know already, my name is DJ Spider. I'm your host. And this podcast is brought to you by BeatSource. The number one DJ website in the world. One of the greatest, if not the greatest. We're bringing you the greatest music and the greatest product and the greatest way to get your music. And today we got the greatest guest in the DJ game. But first, let me let you know some insanely amazing news that has come out today about BeatSource. BeatSource Link is officially integrated into the new version of Serato. It is official. It came out this week. Go download it. Go test it. BeatSource Link is unbelievable. You're able to DJ off the cloud. We can trade playlists. You can download playlists that have been made by DJs for DJs. This is the future, and it is here now, and we are so excited. So go peep it out beatsource.com get the new serato it is a collab and it's just the beginning i'm so excited i've been messing with it i put together a whole mix last night i'll try to do it for you guys live online soon so go peep that and thank you guys for listening my beat sorcerers all the listeners thanks for rocking with us Love all the feedback. Keep it coming. The uh, last two episodes got huge response. Uh, My man Steve Wonder, Arcade, got so much great feedback on those. Thank you guys for listening. And today we are stepping it up to a level that we have never stepped it up to before. We got the great, the GOAT, one of the best of the best of the best in the game coming on the show today to break it down, drop some knowledge, you know, tell you what's up. He has even used BeatSource Link and has something to say about that, okay? I mean, we talk about everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. We talk about breakfast foods, okay? We talk about cumin. What what websites are talking about that and podcasts? I don't think any, okay? Maybe his show with that he does with Armin Van Helden and uh, called yeah. Duck, Duck, Goose uh, with his Duck Sauce alumni. But we also get into... Fool's Gold, the Goldie Awards, winning the DMCs in his early teens after only DJing for two years. Mind-blowing. We talk about his project with his brother, uh, which is called the Brothers Maklovich. We talk about how Canadians relate to each other just by seeing each other on the street, something I never knew. We talk about working on new ideas during quarantine, his amazing production, remixes. We even let the listeners write in, and we got some star-studded listeners that write in. Dante Ross hits us with some hard-hitting questions about who cuts his hair, and he gives us an insanely unexpected answer, okay? So you need to listen to find out. Without further ado, I'm really proud to present our next guest and one of the best guests we've had on. Please make some noise and give it up on the 20 Podcast for DJ A-Track. So welcome to the 20 Podcast, A-Track. So excited to have you on, finally. Um, how? Thanks. Yes, thank you for, for being on the show. Um how is your day going today? That's the question. 
Oh man, my day is okay. Yet I feel like in 2020, it's it's uh, day by day more than ever. That's why I'm yeah. asking, how's your day? Because yeah. it's like, how are you? It's like, okay, that's the most layered question ever exactly. by this month in this year. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. There's no so, simple yeah, answer. My, 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 my day's going all right. Um, okay, yeah, good. Just kind of like banging through the, the to-do list um, hour by hour. So I'm all right. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I know you, you got to have the to-do list for <laughs> <laughs> this world right now. What yeah. did uh, what you, you for? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Yeah. I'm I'm good. My day. I mean, I got my sons in homeschool, so it's like mm-hmm. I have the weirdest balance of yeah. everything, you know, and yeah. mixing DJing and all the different projects and doing this podcast. And I don't know if I'm a DJ or a, a PJ or whatever you call me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a whole whole new world. <laughs> it's whatever we make it, yeah. Yes, exactly. What mm-hmm. uh and I was wondering, I've been seeing you like talk so much about food this whole time. What did you have for <laughs> breakfast? What was your breakfast this morning? How did, how does A track start the day? I think people are gonna be really wondering that more than anything. I have been talking about food this year. I mean I haven't been home this much in forever. Right. So I've, I've been trying to like take you know take take charge of that aspect of my life a little more right um my, my breakfast today was very average i had i had eggs i had okay. scrambled eggs with a bit of cheese and uh and the earl gray tea but my thing with breakfast is to have a rotation throughout the week i think um somehow we got, you know, because of food lobbies and whatever else we could get into in long conversations <laughs> yes. during decades and decades of American history. It got to a point where people were sort of instructed to like have the same breakfast every day. Right. And I don't think that works. I don't think that works. So today I had eggs. Um, on certain days when I have my eggs, I might have a half, a half avocado with it. But there's other days where I might have chicken sausage with like sweet potato mash or, or, or avocados. But there's other days where I might have Greek yogurt and granola. And, um, you know, it just kind of varies. I'm, I'm a fan of savory breakfast in general, I will say this. But yeah, my, main, my main thing is having a rotation. I don't think it's good to have cereal every day. I, I don't need gluten, so I can't even have most cereal anyways. I don't think it's good to have eggs every day or even the protein every day i think it's just like that rotation. right yeah. so you're like you're an open format ish you know dj an and that, that applies breakfast. you're an open format breakfast eater yeah uh, that's interesting some people are just straight sunny side up every morning you're switching it up I so know, man <laughs> if, if i have eggs for too many consecutive days i feel sluggish that's, i think that's true people, yeah i think with a lot of like dietary stuff everyone's looking for like the one size fits all solution like eat this and you'll be fine and i think it's all about balance yeah people are like yo intermittent fasting or all these random i'm like i i think my body's supposed to eat like i don't know if i'm gonna starve it i mean maybe for yom kippur or something but (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've seen you guys on your duck sauce show, like a lot of food talk on there, right? I heard like some yeah. serious, uh, some serious quotes. Like I heard Armand say, um, cumin is no joke. And I'm yep. like, I would wear a shirt that says that. I think, I mean, that's a, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Armand is, is a, is a human, uh, you know, t-shirt, uh, t-shirt slogan generator. So, oh yeah. yeah. Everything no he joke. says. I like when he said that he's a, he's a, 
um, toaster oven fanatic. <laughs> Wait, what did he say? He's a what? He said he's a toaster oven fanatic. Oh my god! As opposed I... to microwaves. That, well, you, you know, you, you know that's... the toaster oven to to heat up to heat up certain foods. I I I, I respect his stance on that. That is, yes, certain people are strictly toaster oven. My sister, too, no microwave. So that's interesting. I recently saw the most advanced toaster I've ever seen in my life. It had like an <laughs> iPhone in the middle and you could... Is it like all... a Dyson toaster? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like beyond a Dyson toaster. I was like, wow. It showed you what the bread was going to look like before it came out. Oh, <laughs> it's like, uh, so I wonder where toaster ovens are going to be, you know, after this. Very interesting stuff here. Yeah, it's, it's funny because neither Armand nor I are chefs per se but i think both of us have traveled a lot and both of us have an appreciation for certain things so yes. we just figure out how to do it at home the way that we're, we might enjoy it somewhere else and it's just figuring out those hacks yeah i mean i think that goes hand in hand with being a producer or dj yeah. you know you're you it's the same using ingredients to make yeah, what for you sure. want and you, you know how how you want something to be and you're figuring out how to get there i feel like by the way i feel like this year has been the year of the air fryer, and I have I haven't gotten an air fryer yet. Me but everyone's too. Everyone's talking about air fryers. Yo, air fryers on my to do list uh, of things to get. <laughs> yeah, if 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 you want to go there, but everybody's talking about it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna put an Oreo. Put some Oreos in there. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. yeah all right well not too much food talk but one more thing i saw like i you know obviously follow you on twitter you got a lot of hot takes and uh one hot take was you're talking about i think figs are magic and something about oh, pl pluots and, re <laughs> and like recently i was like i got all this delivery of pluots at my house and i was thinking like did this exist when i was a kid like did someone just make remix the plum and like who how did this happen a recent thing i think the pluot's a recent thing I so think. is it like a labradoodle like how does this come together yeah 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 yeah, yeah. the pluot is the, is a plum apricot okay so someone just plum, made that yes modern science I th i'm pretty sure that's just from the last couple of years i believe right i've only seen them in recent years there's certain foods that certain fruits and vegetables that i'm into that i feel like certain people don't know about that aren't new like I, I really like cactus pears and shit like that but that's just because my parents are from you know different countries and you know kind of grew up eating their food but um but the pluot i do think is a is a recent invention yes and cactus pear just randomly we're going so far off on a tangent <laughs> but i i was riding a bike with my son yesterday and we have this app called picture this where you, it's like the shazam of plants i need and, to get that yo it's the best because the beginning of quarantine with nothing to do but go on walks yeah. every day. Yeah. So we were going these mile, two mile walks and we were like, what is this plant? What is this thing? I wish there was like a Shazam for plants. So we found it. It's really Yeah, dope. there is, right? And we were yesterday, we found this crazy cactus with all this stuff falling off it. And he's like, take a picture of it. And it was prickly pears coming off of it. So there you go. Yep. I found it by my house. Yep. Um Okay, very interesting. And speaking of more duck sauce stuff, um, you have uh, like b had three episodes of this show, Duck, Duck, Goose. That is yeah. um, <clears throat> this YouTube show you've had out, which has been amazing. Like the first episode hey. was like legendary uh, DJ stories. I mean, insane. With Todd Terry, yeah. Yeah, with Todd Terry. The second episode, um, oh, what was that? David Guetta. Yes, David Guetta. That was unbelievable to hear Which him. Just fun because it was sort of like you know showing his showing his OG side that people don't really know about. 
Exactly. It really showed his personality and his connection to real music and not so mm -hmm. like meme how people look at him or don't know much about yeah. his history. Yeah, for sure. Um, talking about his hip hop roots and talking about his connections to like the French touch scene and yeah. DZP and Daft Punk and DJ Falcon and all of them. Yeah, super interesting. And then the last one, I started actually just skimming through it last night. I didn't get all the way through and I felt like I probably had to drop acid to fully uh, get it into my brain or something. Yeah. But Billy Carson... Mm -hmm. That was insane. I mean, yeah. also, I Google, I had to look up how old he is because he's yeah. like, I started studying this in 1977. The internet says that he's 65 years old. I'm like, he looks like he's 38 or something. Like, how yeah, is this I don't possible? know. I don't know his age. Yo, um, he's mind blowing. He has, a, I have 139 social media accounts. I'm like, I can't even keep track of like three of them. <laughs> yeah, he's got this very masterpiece side to him. Like, he's very entrepreneurial, where, like, yeah, he's the masterpiece of esoteric arts. Where that's he, the you know, best he, way he to just, put it ever. <laughs> you know, and he, yeah, exactly. So he'll talk about his hundreds of social media. Uh, pages and then he's got his own his own social media network but he's a tv host but he's invented some sort of battery pack for rockets but he also has like rap records on spotify and a record <laughs> label and this yeah. and that like you couldn't stop him he's like i also do this and he's not lying yeah. too i looked it up i'm like oh, yeah. i gotta see what's going on here yeah he I mean, backs it up yeah so that episode kind of shows <laughs> the the balance of directions that Doug Doug Goose will continue going on where we started with the music OGs and there's going to continue being a lot of music OGs, but Duck Sauce have, has always had this sort of universe to it where Armand and I have these common interests and, and or if anything, a lot of times I'll fall into his curiosity world, things yeah. that I didn't, I didn't even know about. And, um, you know, when, when Dust Rock was still alive and he was doing our artwork for that first run of singles and the Quack album, yeah. Dust yeah. and Armand were into a lot of similar interests when it comes to secret societies and, and you know, ancient history and, and conspiracy shit. Um, so, like, the, the artwork for Quack, the album, especially the, the Inner Sleeves, had a ton of esoteric stuff and a lot of symbolism in the corners and shit like that. So, we always thought it was fun to build this whole world about around duck sauce where we're mostly known for having this really sort of super simple kooky you know worldwide smash like almost almost novelty records as right. with barbara slice and and even big bad wolf as much as to me sounds like a sort of cashmere like very real chicago house record at the end of the day it's also a novelty record Right. So we're known for this really silly, goofy novelty stuff, but then we'll inject a lot of really weird, like deep knowledge uh, into what we do. That's super dope. I know. I mean, just the intro of the Billy Carson show with Armand's <laughs> books and yeah. just the first book he pulls out. And he's like, this is a book that could go in a museum. It's a hundred something years old and some <laughs> asshole highlighted all through it. I'm like, this is hilarious. I had to look yeah, that yeah, book yeah. up. I mean, I learned a lot, I think, just from that, watching pieces of that interview last night. It was, and it so, sent me down these rabbit holes. So that was cool. Yeah, and you can choose what to believe and what not to believe, but it's like... Of course. It's cool. You know, like, I'm, I, I like to surround myself with people who have very original uh, interests and original, you know, opinions and, and trains of thought. Like, I, I, I kind of 
run away from anything generic and, and Armand is one of is probably my most you know prized one of one person in my life where he's just a complete anomaly and and, and I treasure that yes he is a golden jewel yeah to the world yeah. Uh, yeah, musically yeah. and everything yeah. mentally and all that oh for sure and it's funny because like um you know he he doesn't go out quite as much he's a little he's kind of older now and um, right. I've come to realize that like a lot of our friends and people sort of our age have never gotten to witness like the full range of the Van Helden persona. So I, I love any opportunity that I have to like share him with the world where I'm like, look at my awesome friend. He's hilarious. Yeah. You know? No, and he's super he wise. Is... Like he's kind of my Buddha. Oh, very wise. Just from hearing him talk, because even I, I don't know very much. I haven't heard him talk that much. And, um, yeah. I've been a fan of his music forever, but he's he's somewhat mysterious um, in sure, that way. Sure. So to have him doing something like this, like an hour and a half YouTube video, where I get to really feel like I'm like on a call listening to him is amazing. Yeah. You know? Now, even yeah. the way he talks about the, the recipes is funny. Like the way he'll explain yes. his choice of pasta. You're just like, man, this guy's got life figured out. Like he's just tapped into some higher power. <laughs> Yeah, the way he can just say cumin is no joke. I mean, yep. yeah. <laughs> that expresses it all. <laughs> that's that's so cool. Uh, well, yeah. we did get a ton of questions about duck sauce from the internet. We'll we'll get to that later on. Cool. But um, you know, we're still in this COVID home life. Uh, it's September 2020, and um, mm -hmm. you know, before before COVID hit, I mean, you've always put your um, your stuff has always been accessible on. You know, I was going to say online, but even before that, I was watching you on VHS tapes. You know what I mean? When we were mm -hmm. younger, you've always been out there. You've been able to see your stuff online. And before COVID, I think you were putting a lot of videos online of you just in your house practicing and, um, you know, your set lists and everything. So yeah. it, w it was somewhat of like a smooth transition into the COVID digital like world that we all live in now. Mm -hmm. Um so I was just wondering how has quarantine been for you creatively in that way? I would say for the most part, creatively, it's been pretty smooth. That's probably been the smoothest part of my life this year, as far <laughs> right. as adapting to this whole crazy year. Yeah. Luckily has been the creative side. I think there's, you know, I've had to adapt on a, on a business level, finance level, uh, personal level, you know, mental health level, all these other things. But creatively, if anything, there's been kind of a, a plus there where I don't remember the last time I've been home for this much. And um, <clears throat> I had kind of a backlog of ideas, of even things I wanted to try out, especially right. when it comes to live looping stuff and what ended up being these routines that I've done with the TR8S drum machine. Um, and um, so, yeah, there, there, you know, there was... A, a lot of like stuff parked in my head for a while of like one of these days I'm going to try this idea out and that idea out. But on, you know, in sort of normal times, I would just be running around between airports and between deadlines and fool's gold conference calls and, and, you know, planning goldie awards and all this other stuff that, that I'm passionate about, but that does eat up a lot of my hours in the day. Right. And for, for whatever reason, like my turntable time would always be what gets eaten into. That's the yeah. thing that would I would end up sacrificing, which, you know, it's one of the things I thought about a lot this year now that I've had time to 
be in my little studio more is just to be like, I can't allow myself to sacrifice this time as much as I have in previous years, because this is the core of who I am and the core of what I can contribute to the world. And yeah. um, I think I kind of took for granted this idea that, you know, even if I don't practice or experiment or whatever for X amount of days or weeks, I still have this sort of like built up sharpness where I can still keep things interesting. But there's a difference between that baseline and where I can go, uh, you know, without sounding too cocky, but where I can go if I really give myself the time to experiment and try out new ideas and innovate. And I hadn't had, it's, it's more than even scheduling, it's mental space. I hadn't yeah, had the yeah. mental space to even go into that chamber in a while. So that's been the most positive aspect of this year for me as just to go back into the mindset of the teenager in me and just look at my turntables and be like, what's it going to be today? What are we going to try? And then as soon as an idea sparks, film it um, and just do that for, you know, repeatedly. Yeah, thank you for filming it and sharing it too, because I think it's really inspirational for people and, uh, you know, it just shows them like uh, giving a window into your experimental process. Because like you said, mm. yes, you're, you can do all these amazing things that you've practiced up until this point, but there's never an ending. It's infinite. So to watch you keep leveling up and utilizing what your foundation that you've built to there and then keep taking it up is so cool. And that was something I wanted to ask you about was, can you even briefly or somewhat explain that setup of the 808 being mm. linked to Serato? Because I've watched a bunch of the videos like, and you'll play like a fella Kuti song. Mm. Immediately the drums will be synced to it and then you'll have the synth sound building into it and how is it all are you using serato link uh to sync them or how does that no. work uh the tr8s the s in that name stands for sync and and so the tr8s is a drum machine that roland ha makes that is probably mostly known for having all the classic 808 909 606 707 sounds right um but it also has um, sampler capabilities. You could put an SD card and play, you know, samples from wherever you want. Um, uh, it's just that you know the sequencer is also laid out the way that, that an eight hundred eight or nine nine would be would be laid out. So it has that same kind of functionality. But yeah, the TR eight S specifically has a USB connection and it can speak to Serato Sync. Oh, okay. So that's how it works. It's just that there's some sort of you know protocol that they connect on where it connects the USB to my Serato laptop. Okay. And so you can sync either way. You can start with a beat on the drum machine and when you hit sync on Serato, it'll, it'll marry to that tempo or the other way around. You can start with something on Serato and then hit the drum machine and it just follows that. And with turntables, it's not perfectly exact. Um, but that's kind of what I like also. Yeah, like that's I'm, the fun of I've it. Always, yeah, I've always liked the, lo the looseness of turntablist, like sort of scratch music. Yeah. Um, where you, it's always a little in and out, but that's, that's the human feeling. Um, yeah, it's the jazz improv, improv type feel. Yeah, yeah. That's how you can tell that it's performed live in a sense. If it was too tight, you would lose this really instinctive kind of connection that, that I think it's felt when you listen to it. But that's the way that, that's the sort of mechanics of it where that yeah. machine connects to USB and, and it syncs with Serato. 
And then, you know, the way kind of where I took that, like that drum machine was in a box in my studio for like six months before COVID hit. And right. it was one of those like, you know, one of these days I'll try something with this. Yeah. And it just so happens to be of the various ideas that I tried out um, earlier in the year. That's the one that I think was like, that's the one that bloomed the most. That's the one that connected the most and that felt like it opened doors into like a new a new zone for me where you know when things go back to normal and i go back to playing shows i want some of my shows to specifically be drum machine shows where you know especially if i'm going into a ticketed venue where people can come and watch a set a performance the same way they'll go and watch you know some other type of electronic experimental like ninja tune type of yeah performance you know um and then you know the, another thing i like with uh, with that setup is um you know as much with house music as with hip-hop putting a loop over 808 drums or 909 drums there's something very f familiar about that yeah it sounds like a thing automatically like even a casual listener who doesn't know per se what a 909 is you loop it you put a disco loop and you put 909 drums and it already sounds like something that they recognize from somewhere. doesn't matter if they know why they recognize it or what record they heard a 909 kick on or whatever. It's, it's almost like it's grounding. True. And I love that familiar, familiarity for the listener um, because it makes me feel like I don't even have to explain what I'm doing. I could just loop stuff and, and layer beats under it. And I like the idea that a lot of the listeners aren't even sure why they're enjoying it, but there's something about it that they want to listen to. And, um, you know, it's also the first time I think that I've gotten such a, so, so many uh, people responding to routines, asking for a recording of them because they want to listen to them as remixes or as songs. Yeah. I'm used to posting, you know, whether it be beat juggles or scratch routines or tone play stuff or a combination of those things where if I post, post those in my Instagram, the response will just usually be like, crazy, you flipped right. it, you killed it, wow, crazy, you went crazy. But it's, that, that's not the same as, can I listen to this the same way I listen to other songs I like? Um, the drum machine stuff took it into that territory, which makes me now start to look at it as something where I can make like live albums or live EPs. Yeah, and, that's just what you know, I was and thinking. And put that out and perform it on the release day. And, you know, it could be done during streaming, during, yeah, during a quarantine time, streaming from home. Like, it's just opened a lot of possibilities for me. That's super dope. Yeah, I know. I saw some of the comments. I mean, it was like dope house producers, channel tress, and people like, yo, that, you know, slide two goes hard. I would listen to that or things like yeah. that. And like, you're really making songs or just, um, you know, inspirations for songs that then could be turned into stuff or collab with other people and stuff. Yeah, I think so. So, um, yeah, that's been exciting. It's, 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 it's fun to like, there's something about turntablism where like the whole turntablist community has pushed for innovation for so long. Right. And for so many years, and there's been periods of innovation and there's yeah. periods where you feel like there's something new added to the table. But at this point in history, you know, it's a little hard to like add something new to the table. Right. Um, and this for me, it's the, it's the first time in a while that I felt like I opened up a new door, 
even just for myself, where I'm like, oh, wow, this is like a new realm. And yeah. I, can, I can have fun with this as its own thing. And I like to function with these sort of buckets with my projects where even whether it be time management or how I manage my own creativity and ideas in my head, I like to have, you know, the eight-track solo material, the sort of rap collaboration stuff, which over the years has been, you know, stuff with Young Thug or Cameron or Lex Luger, but like certain collaborators that I go back to a lot, that's one cipher. Duck Sauce is one cipher. Brothers Maklovich is one cipher. Right. Um, you know, and now there's these drum machine turntablist routines that are a cipher in itself too. So even when I'm digging for inspiration or, or samples or little, you know, things to use in routines, there's a, there's a, there's a, a sort of a, a crate that I can dump those into for that, for that world. Yeah, exactly. And there's no genre at all to that world, even the way you've been doing them. You know, it's just yeah, yeah, music. yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it's 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 been it's a been a little bit more on the housey side, but there's right. definitely been like you mentioned the Fela thing and, and a couple of other slower. Like I did a sort of like re reinterpretation of my Heads Will Roll remix. Yeah, at that was like dope. 100 and something BPM. You know, which is more of a hip hop tempo. So that it was fun to rethink that one too. Yeah, that was really cool. And Thanks. I see you're and I, using... And now, even oh. on that note, like I've always liked the idea. If you have, if as, you know, as DJs who are also producers, um, if you have a song that's been around for a long time, like uh, we all, all of us can get tired of playing a certain record sometimes, but maybe that's the record that you're most known for. Uh, I don't really get tired of playing Heads Will Roll, luckily, but I do like the idea of performing it in a different way than the one that people have heard. Because, I mean, it's, it's literally 10 years old at this point. It's like, it's actually 11 years old. That's so, so crazy. Yeah, it's a trip. So for something like that, and even recently I did a, a, another stream where I did a, a bit of a different version of, of, of my remix for Disclosure, um, that song Magnets, yeah. where I, yeah. I did a different drum beat with the Roland drum machine, and I was you know scratching stems of the music. So I like this idea of like performing one of my songs in a different way than it is on record. Yeah, I love it. And it and, goes back and, to like the hip hop world where we used to perform with groups and it was like you could get as creative as you wanted and For sure. Yeah, I think definitely like it goes back to this mindset of when rap groups would have a DJ and when and and when you went to see them live the DJ would throw in another instrumental for the second verse or something. Right. And you could or, do anything, or, yeah. Yeah, but it's also like, you know, you were talking about how I share set lists like that's kind of also the whole jam band you know grateful dead pearl jam thing of like sharing set lists and and having you know a live version of a song that's different from show to show where people could be like oh do you remember in 2017 when that artist performed that song on that tour they sped it up but then in 2020 it was a different kind of you know like yeah, and I'm I'm not even like I don't sit at home listening to jam bands like it's not a type of music that I personally right. enjoy, but I really admire the um, how the the uh, the the way that fans are included in the ecosystem and the interactive and sort of like always morphing aspect of the performances and the projects. Yeah, I think even Daft Punk had elements of that, right? Like you'd go, yeah. oh, you heard. They're set from this show and they took all the songs and put them together and this is on top mm -hmm. of this and it slows down and speeds up and they're trying For to figure sure. out what they're doing in there. So I think 
it, it's reminiscent of that in a way. Yeah, even justice after that, they would, yes. they, you know, they would sometimes make a, di- di- they would make a live version of their tracks that's different from the one that comes out yeah. on the record. I, yeah. yeah, so I think it's just, yeah, and then the crowd can be more involved, like you said, or find a version, trade with each other, and it's not so mm-hmm. just like this one DJ flying around playing the same song in every city in the same video and on all that. Yeah, because I think for, for DJs who also make records, that's that's one thing that, is always a little tricky to um, to grapple with where your fans expect you to play the songs that they know from you, right. but the style of music, the, all the other songs in your set vary greatly with time. I know for myself, like from year to year, I'll, I'll explore a lot musically. Yeah. And to make my, to keep a place for my own songs in a set where everything else is morphing a lot, you know, there's a point where it starts making more sense to morph my originals too. Yeah, totally. Well, I love what you're doing with it. I can't, you know, I can't wait to see where it goes and if you do come out with a whole project. Um, And also one more sort of nerdy DJ thing is what's your ideal setup? I see you using the rain mixer when you're doing that. Yeah, I'm really into the rain 70. The rain 70. That just seems like it's becoming the mixer of a lot of, people who love scratching or produ- or doing these live remixes or routines and edits. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's my like standard mixer now, you know, I think uh, as far as clubs go, like we've all seen the pioneer 900 be kind of a standard for many years now. And, and I'm, you know, perfectly comfortable with that. But when I'm at home right. and I, and I have turntables rather than CDJs most of the time at home, um, and I want to just get busy with a two-channel mixer. I, I, um, I like the 70 a lot. And what I like about it specifically, I would say, is like when the sound quality is, is really good. Yeah, that's what um, I heard. Yeah, I really like the sound quality uh, more than its competitors, uh, with all due respect. And, and um, there's also a thing with the Rain 70 as far as routines and kind of flipping stuff where um, – you're, you can choose uh, different modes for the, the buttons on each deck. So you can do cue points on one deck and your sampler on the other deck. Right. I don't know why or, you can't do that on the other mixers. It's so weird. Yeah. yeah. You're so, forced to do samplers on both or on cue points on right. both. And you're like, why can I not flip this? Yeah, yeah, yeah that so makes sense. I think sense. we got it right. I think the 72 before that was a little overambitious. Yes. Um, you know, I don't think those screens with the waveforms, I mean, they look sexy, but I don't think they're really needed. Um, and I think certain things that should be simple, like I remember the first couple of times I tried the 72 at a show, like just jumping on someone's setup. I remember being like, why am I not able to figure out how to get an echo going? Like this oh should God. be like, that I've was used the hardest thing for me life. too. I was like, yeah, I can't just, like, get this, the echo or I'm using I the Serato. It's cutting it. off. Yeah. Yeah, same. exactly. Like the, the pre and post thing. Yeah. And, and a couple of other things about it. So I think there's certain things that, that should be super simple on the 72 that weren't. And I think in the 70, they really found a good balance where, um, yeah, the things that need to be simple were, Right. Um, and then they were able to differentiate themselves on a couple of other things. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously you've known, you've probably used all DJ gear because you've been doing this for so long. And I was just, you know, I've been following you forever and seeing you winning 
titles when you were what 16 years old or even yeah. younger probably uh 15 and um you know where i remember seeing you sort of out of the blue but i like where did that start like when was the first time you remember having that hunger and drive to just go practice djing and scratching like oh this is this thing i found and i need to do this all the time pretty much as as soon as i first tried it and it's how did funny. you find it where, where was your first intro so, to it yeah i mean basically i grew up in montreal and um, my older brother who a lot of people now know from chromio and, and other projects we've done together yeah um it's just us two siblings and um even at a young age i was hanging out a lot with him and his friends and he played in bands when he was in school played the guitar and had you know had bands with friends and was right. also kind of like going through that sort of musical exploration that everyone does mm -hmm. you know when they're sort of in their early teens or or, or yeah, teenage years and i kind of just followed what his group of friends was listening to i would just kind of grab the cassettes and take them to my walkman so when it went from you know i it at first it was you know hendrix zeppelin pink floyd frank zappa that kind of stuff you know classic 70s classic rock and a little bit of fusion um um and and even sort of proggy 70s shit. it went from that to like oh cool beastie boys cypress hill that that's cool and that's new yeah. and that sort of i think that lured in a lot of rockheads and it, it went from that to listening to like de la tribe far sides you know and then next yeah. thing you know it's wu-tang and biggie and all that kind of shit like 1994 is probably when i fully when both of us fully embraced hip-hop 93 94 okay and um and it was just an era where you would hear scratching on records you know so even though i was in 94 i was 12 so i wasn't going to clubs i didn't you know if i knew what a dj was it was just because i was falling in love with hip-hop and i would listen to pete rock and cl smooth the main ingredients or i would listen to premieres production on krs return of the boom bat and just be like what's this magical sound scratching know. you know and and um as i kind of as i got interested in that stuff and my bro and i would also go to these there's like two record shops in montreal that had really cool records and montreal is also really connected to europe so there's a lot of stuff that's coming in on imports but other stuff coming in from u.s distributors and you know i remember getting i don't know if you remember that uh the return of the dj compilation that, that oh yeah um, you know, I have that, them that on little... vinyl. I don't know what yeah. I would. I I used to play them on vinyl. I'd feel weird because I'm like someone's scratching on the <laughs> scratching. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love those. The one, the graffiti one, that was one of my favorite. It was like bombing, or I forgot yeah. what it was. But yeah, yeah, because bomb was the name of the label. Yeah, bomb hip hop was the label. It was that yep. Bay Area? But those yeah. compilations, were, I mean, those were so inspirational to me. And there was another one. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I can't remember the name right now, but. Uh, yeah, I love those. You know, I, I would yeah. get them on vinyl, on CD, and just listen to them over and over and over and try to imitate those scratches and the premiere exactly. scratches and all that. Exactly. And, and so I tried scratching on my dad's record player the same way that I think everyone did. Uh, you know, if you were a fan of hip hop in the 90s or whenever, but the only difference was I kind of figured it out, which yeah. whereas yeah. You know, most people would try scratching and it would sound like, you know, uh, uh, squirrels rum rummaging through the trash cans like it just sounds like <laughs> and they'll be like okay i can't do this for me for whatever reason 
I remember grabbing my dad's copy of Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life, the double LP, and just grabbing a little drum fill, like a snare fill, and, and scratching it. And you, when you scratch a snare drum, it sounds like a real scratch. Yeah. You know, like there's something about a snare drum that sounds official. I know. And, and um, I, had, <clears throat> I had a seven inch of um, Beastie Boys Shore Shot, the, the red vinyl that had a couple remixes on it. And um, one of the remixes started with a little acapella section. And so I was able to scratch on the vocal. Which, oh, okay. You know, because no, as, as a kid, I literally had like less than 10 records. I didn't right. know what an acapella was or how to find a scratch sample. But I yeah. just would hear scratching. And that was the one record where there was a voice where I could scratch. And it sounded like a scratch that, you know, maybe a premiere or a Pete Rock would do on a record. They were scratching on vocals. Right. So I was like, oh, shit, scratching a word sounds like a scratch. And um, uh, my brother and his friends like saw me one day. You know, like literally just coming home after school and I'm like at my dad's record player. Literally <laughs> no. like the record player was on top of an amp and there was some sort of like switch on the amp that would cut the sound on and off. I don't think it was phono line, but it was similar to that. But it was like a vertical switch because the, the turntable's on the amp. So I was scratching like this. That's amazing. I was going to say no crossfader, right? But you even figured no, that part out. No, it was just the <laughs> belt drive turntable and some sort of switch like this. And I'm scratching like that. And they come into the house and they're like, they're all like, Dave, how come your brother can scratch? Like, what the hell's going on here? And I looked so tiny and Dave was like, you need to practice this stuff and like, take this seriously. This is crazy. Like, he was like, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and, it, and it just kind of started from there. And from there it became like, you know, I think I wanted to have my instrument. Like he was playing the guitar for a couple of years already. His friends were playing instruments too and everybody had their thing and i had tried tried playing the piano and i took piano lessons for like maybe two years but it didn't feel like my thing and then yeah. i tried scratching and everyone around me is like how the hell how come you can do this so that just got me excited like maybe in a slightly cocky way like i got you can't do this i can do this and so i was just like practicing it a lot and um you know started buying records and then i was 13 so then i had like a little bit of bar mitzvah money which is kind of funny in itself because like I'm, I used to tell this story in interviews and say I use my bar mitzvah money to buy turntables. But yeah. like my family is from kind of a modest background in, in Canada. Like not, you know, we weren't poor, but we definitely weren't rich. Like yeah. maybe lower, lower middle class or whatever. And, um, and I didn't realize that certain kids have crazy extravagant bar mitzvahs with like superstars and themed parties with hundreds of people and all this shit. And that they come, they cash in like on a ton of money. And then I kind of realized after a while that my little story that I use my bar mitzvah money to buy turntables to a lot, especially once I got to the US, I think people kind of have that vision of a bar mitzvah <laughs> right. as like, this thing that like, you know, Ja Rule performs at or whatever. Yeah, like, like my no, super no, sweet like, 16 or something. Yeah, yeah, like I've got a couple hundred dollars from my family all combined. But the record shop that I used to go to was selling a secondhand turntable for like 400 bucks. So why does a 13 year old have $400 in the bank account? Yeah, I got a couple hundred dollars from my bar mitzvah and I, and I had to convince my parents to let me spend it on a turntable, which was a whole conversation in itself because it was like a, like a, we have a turntable, like one of those conversations. <laughs> right. We see you so on yeah. the thing. You're messing it up. <laughs> yeah. And like, they don't even make records anymore. Why do you want to, don't 
don't they make CDs now? Why do you want to buy a turntable when we have one? This is stupid. So, you know, it's one of those things. But, Imagine you know, if they had talked you out of it. <laughs> yeah. No, first, like, I'm glad that they, you know, that they saw that in my stubbornness, there was something, some sort of passion there. And um, yeah, and, I'm you sure you're, I mean, your parents seem like they must be amazing. I mean, to have raised you and your brother as such musically open, smart people. Thanks, man. Yeah, they're they're great, and and I'm you know grateful for the uh, the environment and the values that they brought us up. In. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's how it started for me, and it's like it went straight from that to you know two years later I was world champion. It was weird. Like it's weird that's, to think back. Right. To be like what? <laughs> like people used to tell me that was strange in interviews then and I would just be like, Well, what do you mean? I practiced and I got better at it and then I entered a competition. Like I didn't realize that that was unusual. Yeah. You know? Highly unusual, especially for the time, because for something like DJing where you really had to um find yourself, you know, buy the records, it was expensive and you had to put yeah. in the time and learn everything. Yeah. It it took so long. It's not and, and nowadays people say, Oh, kids learn so fast. They get to watch YouTube or you know, whatever. They they have all the yeah. different excuses of why it took them fifteen years, but this kid can do it in fifteen months or something. Yeah, yeah. But but, but I here's mean, the thing yeah. about the yeah, yeah like me, me learning quick at that point in time, like on one hand, just thinking about this now, like I think I loved the exploration process, the digging process of just trying to find that information because I couldn't get to clubs. So whether it be Return of the DJ compilation or like, you know, I remember at one point, I think even my copy of Return of the DJ, like my brother went to Toronto and they had a record shop that had different records from what we had in Montreal. And I was already starting to scratch. So he bought that for me. And he was like, oh, I found, I found something for you. This is like more scratch DJs. Like you'll probably find ideas on here. So that, and like, I remember my mom went to France to visit some relatives of hers. And I was like, can you go to the record stores there and ask for scratch records? And she like brought back some French scratch record. And, um, you know, there was um, Rap Pages magazine had a DJ issue. Um, and there was like an interview with, I think Premier was on the cover and there was like an interview with the beat junkies and this whole thing with Babu where he's explaining what the, what the flair is. And, you know, I, I was getting into scratching in like 95, 96 and all these new scratches were coming out. A lot of the stuff that the California DJs were coming up with and with Hubert right. and those guys and Hubert disc, uh, all of them were, were, um, innovating. Yeah. The thing that was that played in my favor is a lot of those new scratches, especially the flare and the crab and that kind of stuff. For the ex more experienced DJs who were used to scratching one way for years and years, a lot of the older cats that they had to like unlearn certain That's movements yeah. to figure out yeah. those scratches. For me, because it was all new, I was learning how to transform and figuring out the flair at the same time. And if you know how to scratch, those scratches are like the exact opposites. But I didn't have to unlearn anything. I was just taking it all in. And so I was the first DJ in Montreal to figure out what the flair was and some of these things. And I would link up with these older DJs and be like, look, that thing that, that you know, Melody or Q or whoever's doing on this record, this is how they're doing it. And they were like, like I was this tall and they were like 25, <laughs> I'm 14. And they're like, this fucking kid figured it out. That's amazing. And then, yeah. so then I entered the Montreal DMCs just thinking like, let me give this a shot. 
And, um, and I practiced my ass off and like really went in on some like karate kid training and I won. And then I was like, okay, next thing is the Canadian finals. And I get to that and I'm thinking like, you know, Toronto is a bigger city than Montreal. And there's like a couple of DJs from Toronto that had a big reputation and they were always winning the Canadian finals. But the thing is, there's never been a Canadian DJ that got to the world finals. Right. So we were all scared of these Toronto DJs, but no one got past this one hurdle. So I'm going into this Canadian battle thinking like, one of these Toronto cats is going to win. Like they're just more experienced, but let me see if I can place them in the top three. But then I win that. And then that take me, takes me to the world. And I win that. Like that 97 DMC battle is the first competition I entered. I went from Montreal to Canada to world finals in one trajectory. And next thing you know, I was, there was like the whole, there was a whole community of people who, who were following turntablism in 1997 because it, it was just kind of like an interesting thing going on in music at the time. Yeah. So there's all these people in, around the world who got that videotape and who were like, who's this fucking kid? And that's what started my career. That's amazing. No, I remember getting seeing a VHS tape. You know, I, we were watching. We would just go to my friend's house and just watch those tapes over and over, yeah. and then go try to practice. And we would watch like DJ Swamp, Light Records on Fire, you know, and like <laughs> like crazy shit. And then we see you, and it was like, wait, what is going on here? He's doing yeah. the craziest shit I've ever heard. It's so clean, and he's so young, and. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. It's it's so cool to hear it from your perspective. And um, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like you found your thing and just put put the work in, I think. Um, but yeah, also, no, thanks. And, and one yeah. thing that other DJs told me for years and years, and I, I still kind of hear it to this day, and it really informed the way that I approach my, my, my DJing is that there's always been a lot of DJs who tell me that they started DJing when they saw the video of me winning the DMC because there was a sort of, I could be that guy. Yeah. Aspect. Yeah. Cause I think before that you would watch cash money or rock Raider or some of these guys and they would be like, yo, these guys are so incredible. I wish I could be that, but there wasn't, it didn't give people this message of I could be that person or at least a lot of, especially and there's probably kind of a racial side to it too, I think, you know what I mean? Where like, if you're a white kid that's into hip hop, you're watching Rock Raider and you're like, I wasn't like, I don't even speak this language. You could watch it. People would watch it in admiration. Right. And I think there's part of the- Yeah, or like, I'm not even allowed in that world or something. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not worthy or something. Even, of course, we all remember when that was an even bigger factor in hip hop. And, and um, I always wanted to be very- sensitive to that point too with my place in hip hop grows. I always approached it on some like, hey, I'm a guest in this house. I'm gonna try to do it as respectfully as possible. Yeah. I think people yeah. saw me win win that battle and were like, whoa, I guess I mean maybe not not as much the the racial thing might be part of it, but definitely the age thing. Or definitely like me looking like just some average kid. Yeah. I don't I don't I didn't look extraordinary. I didn't I, I'm not like DJ Noise was really tall. You know, like everybody right. had something I'm just some little kid scratching and people were like, okay, I, I could do this too. Um, and that relatability is something that I've tried to maintain. So even when you were saying earlier that I share my, my set list and I film my practice time and, you know, even earlier during COVID when I started filming more of the experimental stuff and I was filming live looping stuff, which live loops 
you like they don't lock in on beat all the time like there's yeah. always you'll try it once and you're like oh shit i, I hit the button a little off let me try it again right. and i liked to film that process and to grab the mic and be like i fucked up let me try it again because i want people to feel okay fucking up at home too yeah and that's to know that, that we all fuck up exactly you're never gonna get to the dope place unless you fuck up you have to go through yeah. that part of it yeah so that's why I say thank you for posting that because I think it's it's nice for people to it's inspirational and nice for them to be able to see and relate to okay everyone's going through the, and even with this podcast we talk about people going through mental problems and financial mm-hmm. problems and everyone's in the same boat at this point yeah. so we should all just be helping each other out with inspiration and music and what we're doing to get our minds off things. And, um, you know, I think like everyone's going to be going crazy now, but to put your time into the creativity and the reason why you started is going to give you that mental, I don't know, vacation, I guess, from the craziness of the world. For sure. For sure. I've always felt like, um, I've always liked to approach my DJ practice and my music work as a sort of counterweight or counterbalance to something else. I wish I could be one of those musicians that just locks themselves up for weeks and just churns out shit nonstop. Right. But I'm I'm not good at that. I'm I'm only good if there's something else taking up part of my day, and then I only have X amount of hours to be in the studio, and then under pressure I come up with shit. But yeah. if I if I fully block out you know, many consecutive days with nothing else, I, I kind of run out of steam pretty fast. So that's been one of the challenges this year where I'm just being home all the time is making sure that I'm still keeping my mind, you know, with these sort of like this sort of polarity almost like these different opposite poles. Um, Cause that's right. when I know that my, my ideas stay fresh. If anything, that's also part of why I like to collaborate with some music. Cause you know, when I work by myself, even more so on the production side, I feel like I hit little roadblocks or, you know, little bumps in the road um, pretty regularly. But when I'm with working on something with someone, I can just like pass it to them. Then they bring it forward a bit. Then I bring it forward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your collabs. I mean, you have so many collaborations going on right now. And the one with your brother, I I love it. It's so cool. Just Thanks, really, man. really musical. Uh, like the last track you guys just put out, I think less than mm. a week ago. Um, mm-hmm. It's just fun to listen to all the way through. It's not the, the kind of track oh, you're yeah. going to skip through and go, okay, I know this song after eight seconds. Like, it oh, cool. ha- you know, well, first of all, it's a cover of a song and it's dope how you guys did it with the stand-up bass, you know, yeah, so, yeah. very similar, but your own sound, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you scratching on it and you scratching mm-hmm. in that very funky, jazzy way, the same way the keyboard player's playing, you know, like sure, he's yep. jamming out and you're jamming out. It's not like, oh, look, he's doing this into this, you know, robotic. Right. Um, I loved it. And everything, there was time for everything to breathe and mm-hmm. um, just really Thanks, cool. Man. Yeah, I, I love that that song and just the whole project and the whole vibe of everything around it. It just feels like very 90s, I guess. I don't know how to describe mm-hmm. it, but, um, you know, doing it for music's sake in a way. Yeah, for sure. And, and um, yeah, I think for the Brothers Maklovich project, <clears throat> I want it to be really uh, apparent and sort of like obvious that Dave and I are making the music that we feel like making together. Yeah. That we're, it's, there's no, no uh, external pressure or not. It's not trying to follow a record that's 
that worked in the charts a few months ago or this or that. It's literally like exploring where do we go if we just leave, if we just put the two of us, you know, to our own devices musically. And, yeah. um, and we go to like a lot of these sort of 90s, you know, acid jazz, soulful house kind of references, but then we kind of flip it, you know, in our own modern way with the stuff that we've each learned um, along the way. Yeah, and you can just tell that you guys were like smiling when you made it. Like I don't know that like comes oh, yeah. through. It's not like cool. oh man, this must have been hard to do, or they hated making this. I mean, it just sounds mm. like you're just like happy putting it into music. So. For sure, and even like on the mix down level, like it's important to like we we had you know we were kind of like fine tuning the, the the mix and master, like really feeling like it it shouldn't be too banging it shouldn't be too hard it doesn't have to be the loudest master it should just feel like some shit that's like straight out of a machine that's just hitting the tape and 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 has the right feeling yeah and um that track is um so this uh, podcast is called the 20 podcast because Mm. beat source has a playlist called the 20 playlist and originally we were going over song the guests would come on we would go over some of the songs and do kind of how djs do and give your opinion but in the zoom world uh, it doesn't really like do justice to the song to play it across (laughs) zoom that much so i didn't want to you know take away from the artist so we didn't really do it but um on there you're the um that track we were just discussing is the top track on there and i wanted and you and you're a part of beat source um as you've posted on your your instagram sort of explaining what it is um beat beat source and beat source link so i thought that was a good way to you know go into talking about that and find out what your experience has been with beat source uh specifically beat source link and the integration into serato which i know is coming very very soon probably around the same time this podcast is dropping um yeah yeah because the beta's already out for that the beta's out i've been using it i've been giving feedback i've had so much fun like i made the biggest playlist ever in spotify and then just transferred it to beat source just to see what would show up and then i started putting together sets for it and then i realized oh you can't do this so i hit them up and told them yo djs are going to want this and they're like we're gonna do it you know so i've been trying to give my feedback to make sure that people are going to be able to use it you know and like it um but i was wondering because with this sort of thing i I think first impressions are so important i know when a dj tries something it's like what i was saying about that the 72 mixer and how i couldn't figure out the echo like that becomes your opinion on the thing totally they could maybe they fixed it a week after i tried it but you know, three years later, I'll still be like, I couldn't figure out the echo. Same. Like that's we're stuck on those first opinions and first right. impressions. But yeah, BeatSource. I mean, um, you know, primarily it's it's a it's a partnership between Beatport and DJ City uh, as far as the company itself. Um, but they, you know, as far as like the nuts and bolts of it, they both parties asked me to to sit on the board because right. on a, on the you know on the board of a company, you need a sort of like neutral third party. Yeah, and that's even that in itself is something that I was interested in trying out because I think through some of the projects that I've done over the years, and especially like navigating the business of Fool's Gold over the years, like there's a kind of a more of a business part of my brain that woke up a little more yeah. in recent years, and that's been more curious about how to scale a company and how to deal with this or that challenges and changes in the marketplace, all that kind of stuff, and just how to survive, because this, this is challenging. 
yeah. for small yeah. companies. So I was interested in, 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 um, in the, like literally like the boardroom side of it, but also I was happy to be in a position where I could give feedback and, um, yeah, just kind of bring in a perspective of like the DJs at large into this project that, um, is very needed. You know, I think like we all know <clears throat> that, uh, DJ technology is gonna have to embrace streaming technology. Like that, that, that connection is gonna have to happen one way or another. And there might be a few people that try to crack the code and it's always hard to tell who's gonna like fully unlock it to where the mass of, uh, the mass of people and, and embrace it. Um, <clears throat> but it's exciting to be part of that process. And, um, you know, um, I I think there's the way that the way that um, BeatSource Link is integrated with the various softwares and even just specifically Serato and, and Recordbox to where you can go and create a playlist on the BeatSource website and then that shows up on your DJ software automatically. It just populates. Right. Or vice um, versa, which is kind of cool. Yeah, or vice versa. That in itself, there's, that removes a lot of mystery. Like I think previously when certain, like a couple of companies tried to figure out like these like uh, lockers where you could have like a locker of a couple of songs that are stored offline and then you can play them in your set. Something about even just that terminology, even for myself, I would see like a little press release or something about it or a little video and be like, I don't fully get it. Yeah. But with BeatSource Link, the fact that your your playlists are are synced and um and that you can you know play those songs from your dj software of choice that takes away a lot of the mystery yeah um and you know i think a lot of djs from sort of our generation remember just how much how significant of a change it was when we all kind of went to digital even with Serato in the first place yeah. or with, for certain DJs who went to CDJs, but how, how much it even opened up the possibilities in our minds to be yeah. able to have access to so many more songs, you know, back in 2003 or four or whatever, when it was like, when all a bunch of us just went to MP3s and we're like, Oh shit, I don't, you know, I can like back then it was like, suddenly I can do doubles of anything or like, I can make a demo and play it that night. Like that was the, those big aha moments. I think what BeatSource is starting to do now with, you know, opening the streaming platforms to DJ software is kind of like opening the floodgates on that same level where for right. a lot of DJs, like you were just describing that you've been experimenting. It's sort of like, Oh shit, I can do all this now. And then like the ideas start flowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we can and and the sharing the same way you're sharing your playlist, you could actually have that playlist in BeatSource, and someone could be at home and try to mess with it. Yeah. And and I know that it sparks a lot of debates. I saw even on your Instagram post about it a lot. You know, a lot of comments. Oh, great! Some comments are, wait, don't you think this is going to make all DJs sound the same? Or someone's mm -hmm. curating a playlist for you? Then <laughs> then where's the human element? You know, but. I, I mean, my opinion on it, I don't think you have to listen to that playlist. 
it's just a starting point. Or, or yep. let's say you just need something for a specific type of party. You're not going to have to go do all the research for that, and you can focus yeah. on something else. I, I think that yeah. if you're going to let it turn you into a computer and follow someone else, that's what you're going to do. But if yeah. it depends how you use the technology. Yeah, and and uh, you know another thought is like. As much as there's been a ton of innovation in recent years with DJ hardware and software, like, like yeah. the, even when the mixer started having pads, that was a huge change. And then yeah. <clears throat> software advancements, you know, uh, key shift stuff, a lot of things like that, you know, became way more accessible. Um, now, like just the, the ability to like isolate acapellas is becoming way more available. I feel like that's about to be on every software within a year. I know the stem um, right? and all that. Yeah, exactly. Like that's all happening fast. So as much as there's as we're in a period of innovation for DJ technology, there's one thing and what I'm about to say is, is even bigger than BeatSource, but it, it touches on it a bit. There's one thing that I think really needs to be resolved. And it has to be with like workflow of a couple of different pieces of software that we use as DJs. And even just for myself, when I'm like when I think of the amount of steps between me digging for music and having the songs actually placed in the crate, it's kind of insane that like now the majority of playlists are on Spotify. Right. Right. Like if I want to follow some DJs, like sometimes I'll give the example. I like the magicians playlist. Yeah. The, the magician, the, the house DJ from Belgium. Yeah. And he, you yeah. know, he has, he does the magic, um, magic tapes. I like his, uh, his magic playlist. So I'll check it or like Chami, one of those guys, I'll check their, you know, their playlist to see what good house tracks are out. Right. So I'm looking on Spotify and then I want that track to play it in my set. So on one hand, I'll open up my promo inbox and be like, I wonder if the, cause I don't check my promos often enough. There's a bunch of shit that's like sent to me that I haven't actually downloaded. So I'll be like, I wonder if this is just sitting in my inbox. Maybe it's not. Okay, it's not. Let me go buy this. Well, I'm going to go on, on Beatport because it's a house track, you know, because on iTunes, they're selling like the radio edit with like no intro beats. Right. Or no, or like just shortened. Yes. iTunes will sell like a two minutes, 40 seconds version of a house song. <laughs> yeah. So I'll go on Beatport and type in the name of a track. And like Beatport has like an autocorrect thing. So it's like misspelling the names. I'm like typing it three times. And then hopefully I find that song you know, check out with my credit card number just for one song, download it to iTunes, close iTunes, open Serato. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like there should be one feed, one right. thing yeah. that I subscribe to, a playlist that gets updated, you know, in real time. And I could just, I should be able to just drag something off of a playlist that I follow into my library. The fact that I look at Spotify then go into either my inbox or Beatport or Bandcamp or iTunes, pay for it, download it, go to iTunes first, quit iTunes, or now it's called music <laughs> or whatever, and then open right. so I'm like, this is like a really inefficient system. Exactly. Um, and, and then you... I also like to keep both Serato and Recordbox sort of up to date because sometimes I'll play on Recordbox, you know, occasionally at certain gigs. So then I use Record Buddy to sync serato and, and record box so i'll update all my stuff you know download music and sort of like bpm it scan it put it in a playlist on serato and then like once a week i'll also open record buddy and sync it and then open record box 
and then compare the XML with my playlist and drag shit over. And I'm like, this is like, it's crazy. This, this whole system needs to be fixed and updated. That's true. Yeah. And I guess something like beat source, beat port and link. I mean, you, you could have it all eventually in one ecosystem yeah. somewhat, Yeah, which yeah. is dope. So yeah. what kind of, you know, who do you think will benefit the most from beat source link? I mean, cause actually the way you just described it is sort of a common sense thing that I know that I experienced too, but I've never thought about it as that's the way it's going to be solved. And that's true. I mean, I know it's not fully beat source, but that's a way that it can be all connected. Um, yeah. What DJs do you think or people will benefit the most from BeatSource Link? Um, I think that BeatSource is particularly suited for like the club DJs and open. I mean, right. you could say open format, but even just any kind of club DJ, like as in like the resident DJs that have to play every week, because I think it's easy to follow this a sort of like new hip hop playlist and then a new dance hits playlist or whatever they're called and yeah. like you know for the djs that are expected to play just like whatever's on the charts that week yeah that, you know it makes that process a lot easier and um you know it makes it easier to just kind of stay informed um, right. on a regular basis as opposed to like um a dj whose whole thing is to like go dig up some weird record and you go you know, a DJ Harvey or like Errol Alkin or one of those DJs and you're like, take me on a journey. They probably don't need to subscribe to some hot hits playlist. Right, maybe right. Maybe less for them. Yeah. Uh, but but I guess the same way you described, if they want to have all their stuff in one area and ha make sure yeah. they know wherever they go, they'll be able to have access to that. Even if it doesn't have every rare song, but it has more than any other way to do yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, I'm between those types of DJs. I know. You know, we're like, my sets are very focused on my own selections and, and the, you know, thing is fool's gold releases and producers that I'm championing and th things that I'm excited about. <clears throat> That's a big part of my sets. Um, but at the end of the day, there's going to be a part of the set where I'm going to drop a couple of new hot records, mix them fast on some Kit Capri shit and then go back to other weird shit. Yeah. Like that's yeah. always been uh, an important part of, of what I do. And, because the digging part is so energy consuming and time consuming, it's like the staying on top of current hits, that part really just needs to be simplified. Because yes. it's not as if there's anything esoteric and crazy about that. It's kind of the same argument as the argument for, for or against sync when people are like, right. Oh my God, you're letting a computer or a machine beat match for you. My thing is beat matching is the easiest part. Right. So let's just simplify that process so that more of our brains and creativity and, and artistic impression can go into everything else where we can actually each make a difference in our own way. So similar thing with digging, like I shouldn't have to spend a bunch of time to be like, okay, do I have every new Roddy Rich record? Like that should just be automatic. Right. Yeah. Or like you said, someone, you just look and it's already in your shit. You're like, okay. That should just be there. So I can spend even more time finding some weird disco edit that I found on someone's band camp. Yeah. You know, yeah. that won't accept my PayPal and you know, like <laughs> that's where I need more energy for that. Yes. That's true. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's why I think you're the perfect person to be on the board of this. And, and you've really 
I can't think of anyone that's more well-equipped, like you said, in the business lane and the open for, you know, being on straddling both sides of the dance music, hip hop and all that type of DJing community. Um, And I, and I know like something, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this show are quote unquote uh, open format DJs or whatever Mm -hmm. that term is. But um, you know, I I think you're, you're a huge advocate of real DJing and, um, I think that, um, you know, open, like I said, open format DJing is the term. I had um, DJ Spinall from Nigeria on the show, and oh, he cool. said where he's from, he's like, oh, they call me the fearless DJ. We don't say open format That's DJ. Cool. And I said, that's the best name ever. Like, why are we not, using, you know, like fearless? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that just sounds so much cooler. It describes everything right away. My well, of course. I know. I know. <laughs> but no, I agree. No, but for- even in the same way where beat source and beat port are yeah, split and exactly. human brains almost cannot handle not being categorized or something, yeah. you know, but, yeah, but yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, I guess my, you know, spiel with that was that. Uh, I wanted to tell you about Fearless DJ because I thought that was That's dope. Cool. But but that uh, what's what does that mean to you? What does open format DJing mean to you? Or do you have and do you have a better term for it than that? <laughs> it's a tricky question because to me the term open format made sense at an in an era when um when pop was interesting also. Because to me, open format yes. means more than multi-genre. And yeah. it's like a, it's like when I think of when that term was popularized, you know, there was top 40 records that were kind of cool. And you could mix those with, um, with, you know, hip hop that's old and new and mashups and remixes and a couple of electronic or dance records that were sort of like, you know, hybrid friendly. And that was open format. Pop's been horrible for a couple of years. And also, all the distinctions between genres are different. And like, you know, you got country records with trap drums. Like, I don't even, <laughs> right. I'm not even complaining, but that's the yeah. reality. Like, hip hop's the most dominant genre to where trap hats are kind of on every other genre now. So I'm not sure. Uh, I feel like that's a word that is used by like shady club managers more than anything now. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not even sure what it means, but, you know, to try to keep things constructive, if anything, open format DJing means some sort of cross genre format where it's not just a house set and it's not just, um, a hip hop set and it's not just fucking dubstep or trap or or top 40 it's kind of like a mix of those things but i don't know the the reason why it, the term feels kind of questionable or almost broken is that i don't know if there's even as much of an open format community of djs and of parties the same way that there was 10 15 years ago but you know maybe it's just an, an, an important exercise to kind of like update that term over the years, um, yeah, that, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. open for interpretation. I, I, I think that's true. It's what is open format culture? Is it scratching? Is it club DJing? You're right. The other uh, genres or whatever groups can have more of a culture built around it than open. F- there's open format is somewhat of a 
marketing-ish term or something. Yeah, and like, you know, I, I think I still have a bit of a romantic ideal of open format where I think of like really creative, um, versatile DJs that just kind of create these, come up with these awesome mega mixes with cool transitions between unexpected things. But I think the hard reality on the flip side is that sometimes open format just means like all types of cheese. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Right. You know, like sometimes I'll just hear a set and I'm like, oh man, this is like the worst pop record that the per- worst rap record with the worst. Yeah, with the worst re-drumming EDM or whatever. Re-drum, yeah. <laughs> just kill me now. Oh my God, I know. I saw you uh, talking to Scratch Bastard on Twitter. He was talking about, you know, not having ed- edits that cut off the good part of the beginning of the song. Yeah, man. And you were like, hey, bar edits are for toys, intro edits are for toys. Yeah. And I know you're like, you have, you know, you're kidding and not kidding. But it's, uh, you know, I mean, people on the, on the internet can take things very literally. Um, but it's the truth. I mean, there's an art to that. Before there was edits, we had records that we were like, how the hell do I bring this in? I got to figure it out. And that was the fun of it, you know. That was the fun of it. And every DJ would figure out their own, own way to bring in don't you say that we're going to jump, jump the bus exactly. around or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, and then you have your way to bring that record in. Yeah. And, um, uh, or big L rest in peace, whatever record that had a little thing in the beginning that became, you know, your part to get busy and someone yeah. else would get busy a different way with it. And that's exactly. what was cool. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think it, the, the intro edits just flatten everything. I think they make sense for radio DJs who need to have a part that they can loop and talk over and then let the record start. Cool. A lot of DJs that use those aren't radio DJs and it'll be more fun to see each person come up with their own sort of signature way to bring in, uh, you know, a weird intro of a record. Yeah. Not even weird, just like actually not boring intro yeah. of a record. <laughs> exactly. A not boring intro. Yes. Can you do something not boring? Oh, dude, this dude was so not boring. It was crazy yeah. to watch. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, like yep. the worst compliment you can get. But yeah. um, Well, I know we're kind of running out of time. You got to get out of here soon. I had like a ton of other stuff I want to talk about from Goldie Awards to Fool's Gold to yeah, just I mean, we can random another, things. And yeah, we could do another time. Um, yeah. I mean, but I, I, I was saying I, I, I can do another like five, ten minutes if you want. Okay. Like well, why don't we uh, dip into some of the internet questions so we could, our, our yeah. community can feel yes. like they've gotten heard i mean there's a ton of them so i'll try to just pick the best ones sure. but um let's see i mean friend of uh one of the legends in there asked dante ross wanted ah. to know who cuts your hair i mean that's a huge question <laughs> dante <laughs> a very dante question uh there's, there's a few there's a few uh areas of jurisdiction <laughs> where <laughs> someone dyes it and cuts it different people totally i got okay. my color guy okay Shout out to Danny Moon. I got oh. my color guy. But then um, then I'll have like the New York barber, the LA barber. You know, there's definitely, there's been um, points in time where I would have one person that would shade the sides, but they wouldn't touch the top. And then I would someone else, I would have someone else who would like <laughs> take some weight off the top like every couple of weeks I would get a fade every week, but then someone else would go and cut the top once a month or something. Right. So I, get that. I get that. No fly zone. Yes. The no, the no fly yeah, zone. Like you're allowed to cut here, but not there. Cause the person that knows how to like texturize and make the top chunky, they don't know how to do a good fade and the fade bar, but they only know how to use a, um, 
clippers. I so, can relate. I can relate with the hair thing. You know yes, I mean? that's the yeah. truth. Yeah, you are a really a perfectionist, though. <laughs> because I don't know. But if, you, if you're going to uh, stick to that, I think I'm too lazy. I'm just like, just figure it out. Do all of it. I, I have <laughs> unmanageable hair, so I just try to figure out something that works. But I'll, to answer Dante, I got one guy who does the color and then a couple of, go- a couple of barbers okay. I like to just keep Let's it see. We're going to see if Dante hits them up after this. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's going to have the exact same I sh- hair. I share my barbers the same way I share my, my track list. That's so nice of you. <laughs> uh, that's great. You know, so generous. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. There's so many. I'll stick to the simple ones. Uh, I don't even know how to say this girl's name. SP8's cowgirl or some Spate's cowgirl. Uh, what replaced the whole Juicero left in your life? Oh, man. You know, sad. Juicero was a moment. Juicero <laughs> was 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 an entire year of yeah. <laughs> of uh, 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 absurd videos on on uh, uh, on Snapchat <laughs> at the time. Um, yes. So I was really obsessed with this juicer, this futuristic juicer. But you know what? When that was all over, and Juicero went bankrupt unceremoniously, and I had to throw out that that expensive machine. I kind of realized that fruit juice at the end of the day has sugar, even like the freshest fruit juice. And like, there's only so much you want to drink of it. And I just drink a ton of water. Good. So I just went back to basics and I drink water. That's great. All right. Water, water, Juicero, we didn't even need you. Okay. Exactly. (laughs) If anything, once in a while, I might dabble in a lightly flavored sparkling uh, water a la Spindrift. Oh, you have your own uh, sparkling water Oh, no, water I don't maker? have like, a little spritzer. No, I th- there's oh, a okay. brand called Spindrift that's like kind of like La Croix, except La Croix tastes like candles, candle yeah, wax. It does. I don't yeah. want to drink candle wax. Right. It's the one that doesn't taste like candle wax. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was like that that movie Seth Rogen just came out with about... Uh, oh, the, the pickle? Yeah, and that his his ancient his old relative, the main thing he was impressed by was that he had seltzer water in his fridge. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh my god. Um, Well, all right. Let's see. A couple. You have time for a couple more? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Let's see on this list. Um, Do you have? I mean, do you have time to get into music organization for your library? That sounds like it's a whole big thing. Yeah, I mean, I can give a few. Okay, so Jamie selects. He says, "How do you organize your library, genre, vibe, etc.? What's your process for listening to music across various platforms, and then going back and downloading?" Oh, well, we just heard that part. You told us how annoying. By the way, I do have one one little life hack there, where I have a Spotify playlist just private for myself. That's called to download. So if I'm like, so if I'm like in you know moving around, I'm not next to my music computer, and I'm like exploring playlists and i find something i think for a while i was like i forgot what i wanted to download so like that's one little trick that i feel like most people probably figured out by now yeah but um as far as organizing crates or playlists or whatever you call them i mean for it's you know it's the endless process like it's literally you're never really done with it yeah um but a short answer is that i i have a combination of like by genre, but also by vibe, or sometimes even by demographic. Like I've, for years, I've had. I think a few few of us will have a playlist called like rich folks or something like that. Like you know, like you're playing for a certain type of crowd. Yeah, you know what they want to hear. Of course. Um, so yes, you know, I'll have like so within house 
music, for example, I'll have like vocal house, soulful house, you know, old school house. Like I have like my genre playlist with subdivisions, but then I'll have other ones that are just like, you know, literally like one of them will be like Trizzy vibes, like just shit that I, yeah. whatever I throw in that feels like me in some capacity or um, um, trying to think of other like vibe based or, you know, um, I got one called roller skates, you know, like that kind of shit where it's like, yeah. just, it makes sense in your brain for whatever reason. Exactly. And then when I'm, when I'm DJing, I'm just jumping between playlists and, and kind of like finding shit that just, I never do a set off of one playlist. I'll be, I'll just be jumping between a bunch of them and, and combining shit. Yeah. You know, I think and we, we all have like looping tools, scratch yes. samples. Like there's, the, there's like the sort of uh, utilitarian ones too. Right. Yeah. It's good just to be, well, also we're in such a vibe based world, like you said. So it's more like, what do you associate with roller skating or roller skates? Yeah. And then boom, that's in that playlist rather yep. than underground hip hop from 1996 exactly. to 99. You know, it's yeah. like, what are you really going to do with that? Yeah. Um, nice. All right. Um, let's see. Get any, well, John Lax wants to know what you miss most about Canada and Montreal. Uh, what I miss most about Canada and Montreal is being around, uh, being around people where I feel like most of them probably agree with general values that I share. Yes. <laughs> like just thinking like, okay, the other people on, you know, on this bus or on this street corner probably have a general framework that I agree with. That's, you know, America's, you know, for better, or for worse very different in that way america is a land of extremes so yes it probably is that and and i i think also um i mean you know montreal specifically just being around more of my family because i still have quite a bit of family there nice yeah. um all right cool well um you uh let's see we we're almost at the 10 minute mark so uh <laughs> let's do one last one all right, one last one. Let's see. Uh, there's a lot of good ones, actually. Let's go to a woman, I think. Let's get some female representation, yes. um, which we need in the DJ world. I've been noticing that like, there's a lot of female or women DJs on Twitch. Way, you know, I feel like the gender gap is not as big on Twitch, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, so this um, woman asks... Uh, I don't know how to say her name, Ave Jalay, but she said, if you would mentor a female DJ newbie, what are the three focus points you would emphasize? And also what makes you pick an artist for fool's gold, the label or the live stream and all of that? So kind of two questions, I guess. That's a lot of questions. Yeah. One, yeah. Just to handle. So to one mentor of them. <laughs> a DJ. Um, I mean, honestly, if I'm mentoring a DJ, the fact that it's a woman or a man. I, I really don't factor that yeah, into what the focus points would be. I think you agree, you know, right? Like you just want every DJ to, to be good. Yep. And, uh, you know, let me just think like focus points for, for like, for a newbie. I think, you know, I always say that like DJing is really half technique and half selection, you know? So, yeah. um, you need to master the technique and understand the equipment and, you know, of course, beat match, but also just get a sense of when to tastefully use your EQs or effects and just how to make everything sound, um, sound smooth and even like how to create a sense of like tension and dynamics and that sort of thing with, 
the way you mix. So that's the, to me, that's the technique. Um, and selection, you know, just to think that at the end of the day, most people will choose to book a DJ based off of um, what they play. And, and, you know, the more you can differentiate yourself and, and um, sort of uh, represent something musically that people can think, I want this type of DJ, let me go to that. You know, this is the DJ that will give me the vibe for my Thursday night party that I'm trying to start. Right. Like that right. definitely helps. And, you know, maybe even to, because I know she asked for, for three points. The, the last thing that I'll add <laughs> is, in fact, in. yeah, well, when, why does a booker choose a certain DJ? You know, I think we can't overlook the branding side of things. And I think for, an, for a newbie, once they figure it out, um, the technique and, and what their type of selection will be, um, you know, then they got to start thinking about how they market themselves and, um, and, you know, clever ways to, to make that make sense with the other things where like, you know, if you're, if you're like a, a hard style DJ, but your branding, you know, looks like, uh, it's Pokemon or some shit like they won't make sense. You know what I mean? Like you need yeah. to choose something that matches your, your aesthetic. Um, and then how do I choose pools, gold, uh, signings or bookings? I mean, so as music really, we release on the label, um, uh, my partner, Nick catch dubs and I, we, we, um, we do all the A&Ring together. You know, if I find something, I share it with him and vice versa. And we just look for things that, that stand out. You right. know, we rarely pick releases or artists that are formulaic because there's a there's a lot of other labels to go to if you're formulaic. Fool's Gold, I think, has come to represent a sort of like a home for, you know, the artists that don't fit into a square peg. So, yeah. you know, we, we look that look for that in our signings. And then this the 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 Twitch bookings, we've kind of just gone to a lot of our friends. Like that's been a way for Nick and I to just kind of share the platform with homies who we might not have booked at an event before. It's cool to just sort of like think a little deeper and be like, oh, we never even asked this friend of ours to do something with Fool's Gold. Let's put him on the Twitch channel. So that ends up being a little bit more of like a family affair. Yeah, no, I've been loving the Twitch channel. It's super dope. Though You had someone on yesterday that was like making beats live and she was yeah. doing so much Line cool friend. shit. Well, so she won the Goldie Awards last year. Yeah. I, yeah, which I saw. Yeah, she was like just doing a lot of crazy shit <laughs> you know, with so many yeah, instruments, yeah. and it was great. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, yo, you've you've blessed us with so much knowledge and uh, some gems, and told us about foods and music and, <laughs> and beat source and everything. Um, before we get out of here, do you have any kind of final thought for the DJs, or a, you know, kind of Jesus and Marrow uh, neon sign <laughs> type of thing uh, <laughs> that you want to leave the listeners with before we get out of here? Let me think. Um, I mean, the first thing that pops into my head is, you know, I think, uh, I know there's a lot of DJs watching, and I think a lot of DJs also dabble in production. And one of the most important um, things that I keep, ideas that I keep coming back to this year when it comes to production is that this, this year is a good time to, not follow formulas especially when it comes to like club music formulas so yeah. if you're 
if you're a DJ trying to figure out what kind of tracks to make, but you've just been making, you know, whether it be like maybe tech house that sounds like a bunch of other tech house or trap remixes that sound like a bunch of other trap mixes. When the, when the clubs are closed, it's sort of like, why? Yeah. Like, now's the time to go and make like some weird, like alternative hybrid shit or whatever. Or just think of like, what did you grow up on? Is there a way to modernize that? Like just to think of things that are more personal with, uh, with, with style. Yeah, no, that's huge, huge advice. And I think it's important for right now because before we know it will probably be back in the same position we were a year ago and, oh, I don't have time and I got to do this. So Yeah, so, so, so this is a good time to, to experiment and hopefully come up with something that you can keep with you when clubs open up again. Yeah, exactly. Dope. Well, A-Track, thank you so much for coming on the 20 Podcast. Really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Yep. All right. Peace. That was it. Thank you guys for tuning in. That was such an exciting interview for me to do. Make sure you hit me with your comments, questions, anything you uh, need help with in the DJ world or you want me to discuss, hit me on Instagram at DJ Spider, DJ S-P-I-D-E-R, or that'll link to all my other social media platforms. And uh, thank you guys again for tuning in. The 20 Podcast was produced by BeatSource. Join us next week for more interviews as we discuss music that matters to DJs. And if you want to help us to support please rate and review the podcast on apple and all of it tell your friends spread the word and let's go and that was the 20 with dj spider